Well, good evening for our first conference here. I'd like to start with a little story of a principal. His name is Father Tierney in New York. He's the president of Cardinal Hayes High School. It's an all-boys school there in the Bronx, just about six blocks away from Yankee Stadium. And Father, Father Tierney had, it's probably about two years ago now, a young secretary. Um, she had just been promoted to an office job, and she was there in the office where she had her own office, and she was very excited at this point to have her new office. And she could see the maintenance man coming towards her office. And she picked up the phone and started having a conversation with someone, right? So she pretended that it was um, Bishop Sullivan, who was, he's just one of the auxiliaries, but she's like, and she, she motions to the maintenance man to come into her office. And she goes, oh yes, thank you, Bishop Sullivan. Oh, yes. No, I'm so grateful that you've promoted me to this, and, and you recommended for me for the position, and that Father, oh, yes. I'll tell Father Tierney. Thank you so much. And she hung up the phone, and she says to the maintenance man, how can I help you? And he goes, I'm here to hook up your phone. <laughs> Why, why is it that sometimes we just lie? <laughs> right? Um, the Lord tells us whoever humbles himself will be exalted and whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. Um, but why is it that sometimes we just come out with things that are not true? Um, we're just not satisfied with with who we are or the situation or um, with telling the truth. And we seek out and sometimes search for acceptance from others. And it doesn't really satisfy. It started right from the beginning. This lying. In, in the book of Genesis, we read that Adam and Eve heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from his presence among the trees of the garden. And God called to the man and he said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, did the omniscient God not really know where Adam was? Right? Where are you? Is God not actually provoking the question, where are you now that this has happened? Where, where do you stand with me? Where is this relationship that we're in? And we can kind of imagine Adam there, and dare he answer, where, where are you? 
It's a troubling picture for God our Father because now love is no longer in right relationship. Somehow love for us and our perception comes as we experience as a form of punishment for something that's gone wrong because the chosen ones fail to return love. And that's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to remain faithful. Um, we're inadequate, um, but humility and, and acceptance of grace brings forgiveness and brings that restoration slowly back to experiencing the Father's love. And that's what a mission is, this retreat that we're on, these, these almost 40 hours that we're on together. 40 hours, kind of like 40 days. Um, it's a time for us to be in a different place than the ordinary life. It's a time for us um, to kind of go out into um, as Sister was saying, a retreat, a time set aside, a bridge somehow between spending time with the Lord and spending going back and, and our, our life. And on the surface of a retreat, it can go pretty easy. We get a little bit more extra time. We get some quiet. We can get some extra sleep. And all of those are good things, but those are not the essentials of a retreat. The essentials of a retreat are these times that we choose as persons. Each one of us is a person, and we're encountering another person. We're all human persons. We're encountering a divine person. We just encountered the divine person of Jesus, who has a human nature, but is a divine person. And we're here to be in communication and, and asking that question, where am I with you? What response of faith do I need to make now? Are there some obstacles that I'm coming in contact with? Am I moving too fast? Am I moving too slow? Have I forgotten the bigger picture? Times like this, these 40 hours, are similar to what our Holy Mother, the Church, gives to us in Lent. Lent is a time of 40 days set aside in remembrance. I'd like to just read to you one of the prayers that we pray during Lent, and we're going to hear it throughout the, throughout the weekend because it's, it's a good prayer that during Lent we pray. And it's, O Lord, you have given your children a sacred time for the renewing and the purifying of their hearts, that freed from disordered affections, they may so deal with the things of this passing world as to hold rather to things that eternally endure. So this sacred time, just that first little phrase there, 
We're speaking on this retreat of matters of the heart. And it's, we all have a heart, but we are not our hearts. We're persons, and we have a heart, and we have a body, and we have our mind, and we have our, our psyche or our, our spirit, our, our emotions. We have these things, but we are not those things. It's our person that has a heart, has a mind. But I am a person. And it's, it's this that we're going to try and understand a little bit more on this coming week, on this coming weekend. A retreat like Lent is a time of wilderness. It's a time to go to a place where we don't normally go. When we think of the scriptures, you hear of the Judean desert. I come from the desert, Nevada. You just go over the hills here and um, you're in the Death Valley. I don't think it's that far from here, but that's a wilderness. But the wilderness in the scriptures is not particularly talking about the desert. It's talking about a time of testing. Jesus' baptism, as soon as he was baptized in the River Jordan, he was, as Luke says in the gospel, he was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. To be, te to be tempted. That's an interesting phrase, right? The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. You may want to just check that out later on, on this weekend, to make sure that's correct. That's uh, from the Gospel of Luke. I'll, I'll repeat it to you. But it's Luke 3, chapter 3, um, 21, 22 the baptism of Jesus. Why is that important? This, this going into the wilderness is a time of testing, and it's a time of testing like Israel of old as they came out of Egypt. They were brought into the, the wilderness to test them to see if they would be faithful as a covenantal partner, someone who would enter into a covenant or a relationship. A covenant is different than a contract, right? Contracts, we all know, you, you pay some money and they mow your lawn, right? There's an exchange of goods. One of the few covenants we have in modern times is marriage. I give myself to you and you give yourself to me. It's an exchange of persons. And Israel was brought out of its place of slavery and brought into the wilderness to see if they would choose to be faithful and would be able to enter a covenant with God. And we know after 40 days, they got to the promised land. And Moses and the people 
were there on the banks of the Jordan, and Moses sent one scout from each of the 12 tribes into the promised land. They went into the promised land and they said, surely this is a land flowing with milk and honey. They came back and they brought all kinds of fruit, all kinds of honey, whatever they brought in. And the two of the 12 said, we can take it. Sure, the people eating this stuff, is they're huge compared to us. But with God on our side and him asking us to go forward, we can do this. The other 10 said, no, this is a, mil- this is a land full of milk and honey, and the people are huge, and they'll swallow us alive. We were better back in the land of Egypt. And they started murmuring among the people so much so that they wanted to stone Moses to death and go back into Egypt. And you know what the punishment was, right? One year for each day. So instead of entering into the promised land after 40 days, they had to learn how to be a chosen people, and it took them 40 years to get back to the promised land. This time of testing, when Jesus goes and he's driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness after his baptism to be tempted, the temptations that Jesus encounters are always, if you are the Son of God, do something. The temptations are towards identity. You must prove by doing something that you're worthwhile. And Jesus overcame the temptations. And when he came back, he began his mission towards the covenant, the new and the everlasting covenant, his mission. And my sisters, this is what we're going to be looking at during this retreat. This time of testing, we're only going to take 40 hours. It's a little bit shorter time. But we're going to be renewing our covenant on Sunday, which was given to us as a gift for most of us when we were infants. We entered the covenant at our baptism. And that should be changing us. But where am I? Where am I with you, Father? Where's our relationship? Well, this is why the Father, this is why Jesus became flesh. Catechism tells us there's four reasons why. We're just going to take the third one throughout this weekend. The first reason why the word became flesh was in order to save us and reconcile us with God. The second, that we might come to know God's love. The third, to be our model of holiness. And the fourth one is to make us partakers of the divine nature. But to be our model of holiness, we'll be looking at throughout this weekend. I'd like to share a little story 
I'm not sure how how this strikes you. I, I like caves. And um, the caves are always a good analogy for me about going below the surface and going. And there's, a, there's an American author. Her name is Willa Cather. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of her. But she wrote a wonderful book called um, Death Comes to the Archbishop. And Death Comes to the Archbishop was about the first bishop of New Mexico when the, um, the lands above Mexico were formed, they were split and became a new diocese. It was uh, a, no roads, no maps, and the bishop was French from France. And he comes and he's sent over into Santa Fe. And um, it's historical fiction, so that's, it's simpler to read, that's why I like it, but she's, uh, she's a brilliant storyteller. And I'd like to just read to you this little story one of the chapters where the bishop is relying on one of the young natives to bring him uh, over the mountains to, to visit one of his parishes, and he almost perishes on the way. So Father LeMay, this bishop of New Mexico, Santa Fe, often had to cross um, the wilds of his desert, and he always took with him a native guide and on this particular trip, the guide's name was uh, Jacinto. And it was late in November, a few weeks from now, when he had to make one of these such trips, and the weather turned quickly as they neared the mountain pass. The mules would go no further, so they tied them to a tree and pressed on to a cavern where Jacinto knew they could escape from the storm. The entrance was a cleft in the rock face that resembled two lips, and they had to remove their, their packs to slip inside. Father LeMay found himself in a large cave, and Jacinto began cautiously to move a pile of wood, taking the sticks up one at a time and moving them to another spot. The bishop supposed that he was going to make a fire at once, but he seemed in no haste to do so. And indeed, when he had moved the wood, he sat down on the floor and fell into reflection. And Father LeMay urged him to build a fire without further delay. Padre, the boy said, I do not know if it was right to bring you here. This place is used by my people for ceremonies and is known only to us. When you go out from here, you must forget. I will forget, certainly, but unless we can have a fire, we'd better go back into the storm because I already feel ill here. So Jacinto unrolled the blankets and threw the driest one around the shivering priest. And without comment or explanation, he built a fire. The heat seemed to purify the rank air at the time and took away the deadly chill, but there was still a dizzying noise in Father LeMay's head, and at first he thought it was just vertigo. Roaring in his ears brought on by cold and changes in his circulation. But as he grew warm and relaxed, he perceived an extraordinary vibration in this cavern. It hummed like a hive of bees, like a heavy roll of distant drums. And after a time, he asked Jacinto whether he heard it as well. 
and the slim Indian boy smiled for the first time since they entered the cave. He took up a branch from the fire for a torch and beckoned the father to follow him along a tunnel which ran back into the mountain. Jacinto knelt down over a fracture in the stone floor like a crack in China which was plastered up with clay and digging some of the clay out with his hunting knife, he put his ear on the opening, listened a few seconds, and then motioned the bishop to do likewise. Father LeMay laid his ear to the crack for a long while, and despite the cold that arose from it, he told himself he was listening to one of the oldest voices of the earth. What he heard was, the sound of a great underground river flowing through a resounding cavern, and the water was far, far below, perhaps as deep as the foot of the mountain. A flood moving in utter blackness under the ribs of the prehistoric rock. It was not a rushing noise, but the sound of a great flood moving with majesty and power. It is terrible, he said at last. See, si, Padre. Jacinto spit on the clay he had gouged out of the seam and plastered it up again. I find that a beautiful story as I just try and imagine being there because it's going below the surface and sometimes when we peer inside of our own hearts, especially when we get to be very silent, we find that our hearts can be disturbed. And we're afraid of being in our own hearts. And, and there's many different sources of interior disturbances. Sometimes we're just unfamiliar with being silent. Sometimes we're just... We have so many mental distractions that it's almost impossible to stay in our heart. Sometimes our spirituality is just immature and we need to make choices to stay in places in the heart that are uncomfortable. Sometimes the source of interior dis disturbance is sin. Maybe unforgiveness for something that's happened to us. And we try and move away from that point whenever it comes back up. But do not be afraid to enter into that place. Our Father is with us. And he is the one who began the good work, and he will bring it to completion with our cooperation. And I wish to leave you with another image similar to that one. I have not been there. I desire to be there someday, but it's in Poland. And it's called the Underground Salt Cathedral. And it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's located near Krakow in Poland. And it was an active salt mine for 700 years. It's a lot of salt. 
and they refer to it as the Underground Salt Cathedral, because over the century, as the miners would go down, they sculpted statues out of salt, chandeliers, they've carved out huge rooms that resemble wooden chapels out of salt, and there's a place of craftsmanship that's taken centuries to build. But it's coincided with ordinary people's daily work. And it's preserved underground. And you can go down there, and they have choirs and concerts, and it, the halls resound with sound. But you can walk along the surface, and you would never know what's below your feet. It's all underground. You have to go below the surface to discover it. Our interior life, the life of this relationship with the Lord interiorly, takes time and craftsmanship alongside of our daily duties. Perseverance in prayer, in the sacraments and reading the scriptures over time leads to forming that room within our own heart into a place where the praises of God can resound undetected by those who only see our exterior. So identity, my sisters, who are you? If you are a daughter of God, Prove it. Do something. That's the temptation. Our identity is as children, and it's a relationship of being. We are persons. What kind of a child of God are you? Who are you? So allow some silence on this retreat. Let it be a time of recollection of questions, of decisions. If you'd like some Bible passages to start with, I'll give you a couple right now. They're all dealing with the baptism of the Lord. You can find it in each one of the Gospels. It's at the beginning of most of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 and following. The Gospel of Mark, it's in chapter 1, verse 9 and following. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, 21 and following. And the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19 and following. Tomorrow we'll speak a little bit more in depth of who we are as persons. It's important to know who we are as human persons, those things that we have, a mind, a heart, emotions. And then we're going to look at how our baptism, how grace builds upon our nature. Grace does not destroy nature, but helps restore it and build upon it. Because God has created us good, and it's important for us to be able to accept that.